Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Banks, and I'm the host of the podcast series, Heroic Journeys from Crisis to Transformation. My guest today is Dennis Freed, and I'm really, really thrilled to be talking to Dennis today. I haven't actually seen him for probably 16 years. Uh, he and I used to know each other back in, in the day in New York City, uh, and Dennis is going to introduce himself briefly in a minute. Um, I actually asked him, you know, if Larry King or Charlie Rose were to introduce you, Dennis, what would you say? Um, I remember you as a uh, very successful civil engineer. Uh, you were in the, in the building field uh, and in Manhattan, that was kind of pretty fast paced. And uh, so welcome. And uh, can you say a few words about yourself, please? Yeah, hi, Michael. Thank you for inviting me. This should be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, by the way, my mother-in-law went out with Larry King when she was uh, <laughs> When she was a teenager. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah, we were in Brooklyn, so. <laughs> I wouldn't expect Brooklyn. Uh, funny you say that. Um, um, yeah, you said I like the informality of Dennis, so if you dress, you know, anybody dresses me, I'd like just the word Dennis, you know. Yeah. Make it informal. Um, you know, uh, I, I was a businessman in construction for, and still am for many years, switched to consulting for developers, and uh, had a very uh, good career, very, uh, a lot of innovations, so, uh, of which you were part of it and helped my team succeed. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we had good times there. I remember um, that time with, uh, with Bovis, well, let's name it, Bovis. Yes. And... Uh, that was, uh, it, for a little while there, Dennis, it was a bit like home for home, from home for me. Um, and I really enjoyed everyone there. And uh, so what would you you're like uh, most like the audience to know about yourself, apart from what you just said? Um, above everything, I value my family. Yeah. You know, a, a family that is in joy, uh, has each person is in joy. Um, when I was when I was looking for a new love of my life, um, I had a list of non-negotiables, and the first non-negotiable was that she had to be a fantastic mother, and her kids had to cherish her. So you know that's that's the first thing. Family is is is, is paramount to me. Right, and you mentioned um, the word joy, didn't you? Sorry, you mentioned the word joy. Yeah, I like to use joy instead of happiness. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is created by others. Uh, joy is created from within. Uh, you can take happiness away, but you can't take joy away because joy is created by yourself. Um, the, uh, the second trait is my perseverance. I want to get something done. I will do it. I will get it done. Somehow, by hook or by crook, uh, I will get it done. Um, as I had a great marriage, fantastic marriage the first time. And I wanted it again. And as my cousin said, you know, I treated it like an engineering problem. And, uh, I wanted to find joy again. And it took a lot of energy and creativity. And I found love a second time in my life. Yeah, so, that's amazing. And I think that's uh, the big fear, isn't it? That uh, if you have such a wonderful, deep, uh, you know, long last relationship, um, then the fear must be. I would imagine. I've not been in that situation, but I can imagine being in that situation. The fear is, what do I do now? I'm never going to find anyone again. Was that the situation you were, you were facing? 
there were, there were two fears. The first fear is, you know, how you act thinking when you read my book, the one of the, I'm not religious at all, but I, I truly believe in this divinity this higher power. And, um, and I'll get to some of that a little later on. But the first thing is if, if you believe your loved ones are looking over you, how do you act? What do you do? You know, and I saw to myself when I started dating again, that I would treat every wife. I mean, every woman I dated, uh, as uh, I would want my wife to be treated if she was dating. Uh, you know, sometimes I made mistakes, you know, we're all human, but for the most part, that was, that was what I went through. Um, so, you know, that, that's the answer to your question. Okay. And well, tell me, let's get straight to it. Tell me about the book. It's called Loss, sorry, Love, Loss and Awakening. And uh, why did you write it? And what do you hope that people will get out of it? Um, I, I wrote it because I wrote it, uh, I was suicidal a couple of months after my wife died. You know, I, I lost my rudder. I lost, you know, I, you know, I was in this crazy construction, high rise, big developer businesses. Uh, you know, you can think of who the developers are. They run this world right now. And, and, you know, they're all, you know, high profile people putting you through intense stress. And, you know, my wife was always my rudder and my guide and keep me from falling off the edges when she left. Oh, my God, it was so hard to survive. So I was suicidal and I was besides myself. And uh, my social worker had told me to go ahead and, and start writing and put my thoughts down. And I started sharing with people and, and people started liking what I wrote. And they said, we'd like more, refine it. And eventually came into being a book and you know the book is basically about how a man who loves his wife a lot is a long-term caregiver and uh, there's a difference between somebody losing somebody quickly and being a long-term caregiver um and including the kids too being caregivers um and that's all in my book and then you know learning to survive after they're gone and how that transformation takes place from the book takes you from the cancer to when you die, to starting to date, learning to be a teenager all over again, you know, it's, it's, and then sorting through the dating life and then how you find the, the right person again, the guilt that goes through you are oh, there's such guilt mm. uh, through uh, widows and widowers and caregivers and, uh, then what happens when you find a new woman and how do you know, or man, whatever it may be, and how you go ahead and, and, and process to see if that's the right person and take the, the steps, you know, cause you know, especially later in life, it's a bold step to, to move in and go with somebody because you have your own set ways sure. and how you foster your love. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that must be incredibly difficult to uh, when you basically what you were doing is you were uh, navigating on a sea that you'd never navigated through before. Um, right. Because um, you'd been with hope for 31 years, 31 years. I was married to her 30 years with a 31. In fact, that's my chapter uh, serpent's tongue. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the first time I kissed a woman after 31 years, you know, here you think you're, you're, you know, you're Don Juan, you're great at kissing. 
And then I go on my first date with a woman that's been dating several years, you know, after a divorce, she's experienced. And, oh, my God, I felt like I was a 12-year-old. <laughs> I know people kiss like that. Oh, that's why I call it serpent's tongue because – she did a couple of things. I was like, whoa, I didn't even know this existed. <laughs> and I'm only talking about kissing, nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an exciting journey into the unknown. I mean, uh, well, actually, there's a the bit early in your book where you talk about um, one of the sort of so-called mistakes you made. And you, you, you talk about the Rolls Royce and the Bentley. Oh, well, one of the dates I went on, a uh, very, very, very smart, attractive woman and immediately took a really good liking to her. And we were out on a date and everything was just clicking. And I even, even said in there, she put on lipstick in front of me as, you know, like coating her lips, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe we're going to kiss later and stuff like that. And then she asked me what was the best thing I, did, I ever did. And I said, you know, listen, I always always answered honestly to my wife. And I said, you know, do you really want to know? She goes, yeah. I said, getting married at 21. I had a great woman. She was, uh, she was like my Rolls Royce. And uh, hopefully someday I'll find a Bentley. And that shut her right up. She was like, oh, you're comparing me to a car? <laughs> <laughs> and that, I could see the look in her face. And, you know, and then a friend of mine, you know, told me there was a woman that uh, went through this same uh, journey with me. Uh, actually, adventure, not a journey. Um, and uh, she was a couple of years older than me. We both guided each other. And she says, you can't equate woman to cars, you know? Where my wife, I was married to her. You know, if I said something stupid like that, she goes, come on, Dennis. That's like really inappropriate. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, <it's not>. <laughs> <laughs> so you learn to hold your tongue and not say what's on your mind after a couple of days. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, you said something a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, trying to figure out what are the right criteria for finding the right person. Um, what, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, that's, I've got views on that. Um, how do you go about finding someone who's the right person for you? What sort of criteria do you use or do you use? Cause it may be different for different people. You know, uh, I was in, I was in the car with my, uh, my cousin's uh, daughter. So I guess like my second cousin, and uh, she was in her late 20s, early 30s, and also was looking for love like me. And uh, she goes, did you write your list of non-negotiables yet? I go, what do you mean? She goes, you got to write a list of non-negotiables. And you can't settle for anything that's less on that list. So I did. And actually, I've helped a lot of people with this, uh, talking to them about writing a list of non-negotiables if you're looking for a mate. Hmm. Um, and I tell them never to put physical attributes on there because like my, my new spouse, um, she's totally out of my, my idea of what I'd ever be with. You know, she's four inches taller than me, you know, beautiful, you know, elegantly looking, you know, I'm used to that, you know, like small little Jewish or Italian girl that's, you know, you know, five foot one, you know, you know, totally different of what. Lisa is and yeah. and so I tell them don't put any physical attributes in there. That just can't be. You gotta you gotta stay away from that. So like my first non-negotiable was that you know she had to be a great mama. Kids had to love her, you know, because right off the bat I wanted a family. I'm all into family. 
And then, you know, my non-negotiables from there went to, she had a love to be adventurous outdoors. I'm a big hiker, outdoor person. She had to know, she had to love to ski, you know, because I love snow skiing and and, um, I love hiking. And another, the third one was she had to love sex like me. You know, she had to be on the same sexual level. I didn't want there to be... You know, like, uh, you know, I'm guilty, she's guilty, you know, it could go both ways sexually. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about 10, another important non-negotiable to write is, how old do you want the children to be? I'll never forget, I was on a train, and uh, I was speaking to a fellow a widower, and he gave me that advice. He goes, listen, you're, you never know who you're going to fall in love with. He goes, but it's really important to set a a basis for how old their kids will be because you may find yourself falling in love with a woman with young kids that you're not ready for. Right. So, um, it it was really good advice. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a, a, that's the criteria. Well, I think that, um, what I relate to what you said, Dennis, is the fact that, you know, don't put a physical set of criteria in there. Because I think a lot of, especially men, I think men and women do as well, but I think especially men, they tend to sort of have this list of attributes that are physical, that the women, woman must uh, live up to uh, uh, and uh, events. And if they don't, then, you know, well, sorry, you're not good enough for me. <laughs> and, and that's really oh, silly. Yeah. Because I think what then, there's the danger of missing out on a really beautiful human being who just so happens not to have big tits or, you know, may not be, uh, you know, the right height or whatever, to your point. Or, 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 or religion, ethnicity, you can go yeah. down the line, you know? Yeah. And, and another important thing that one of my, one of my fellow widowers taught me um, was widow is, um, you know, the first time she went out with her husband, current husband, she didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And other people told me, always go on, unless the person's a total, total jerk, yeah. you know. But if, if they seem like they're a nice person, but you're not clicking, people are never their real selves on the first date. Right. So you should always go out on two dates. In fact, Lisa didn't even like me for the first half of the date. And then she said I started to come through. And, mm. you know, I don't want to give away part of the book, but when I kissed her, you know, she's like, well, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> I got to find out more about him. She was ready just to put me in the friend zone, you know, because we were both in the same business and had, you know, friends. We were set up by friends. So uh, always go out on two dates. Um, if you, if, as long as the person's not a total, you know, yeah. jerk. Yeah. You know, not a nice person. Yeah, yeah. But going back to, uh, I'm not sure if you answered my question earlier about why do you write the book? Truly, why? And oh, what, what, how would it benefit pe- people, do you think? So I wrote the book cathartically to heal. Okay. The book was started to, when I started writing the book, it was totally to be cathartic. Yep. And then it turned into me telling my story. And why people should write the book, it's, it's really about, you know, it, it's not only long-term caregivers or, or people that are widows or widowers. It's divorcees. It's married people. So the first thing is it, it tells you how to find the new spouse if you have to. I shouldn't say tells you. gives you ideas and, and the turmoils you go through, the, yeah. you know, the ups and the downs. And the second thing, and also for people that are married, I get a lot of married people that read the book. 
They mm. come to me and they say, oh, my God, I, I, I need to do this. Or I love my husband so much. I haven't said it in a while. There's, like, there's a chapter in there called Home, mm -hmm. which is my mother's favorite chapter, one of mine, which is really, not, it's not about the home. It's about your personal being and yes. about your relationships. Um, so to read the book is, is for self-healing to find a spouse, but also to appreciate the love you already have mm. and what you have and how to make it even better. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's wonderful. I, you know, when you talk about home, um, I described when I first met Karen, we've been together for 15 years and it was for the first time, like uh, experience of coming home. That's the word I used. It was like coming home. It's like when you found that person and I found her, and uh, suddenly on my uh, checklist, if you like, of all the things that I wanted in an ideal partner, it fell away actually at the end of the day. <laughs> it, it oh, that's, like that indie, that's like in that indie song, Home. I, I forget who makes it. Oh, uh, uh, David Byrne, Talking Head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love it. But my home is a little different. It's more yeah, about um, all the regrets. Uh, my home is about all the regrets and all the things that I wish I could like, for instance, I played hockey for about, ice hockey for about 20 years on Friday nights. Mm -hmm. I would love to take those hockey games back and spend Friday nights with my wife and just cuddle her in bed, uh, you know? And, yeah. and their home is more about, you know, working late at night, but what really did work mean? Because I left my job, you know? And, mm -hmm. and uh, home was, uh, it was more about all, it was, home's more about regrets. All all widowers, I don't want to say all generalized, but most widowers and widowers have deep regrets. If, if they're founded or unfounded, it doesn't matter. You just say, I could have been so much better at this. I could have. And, and, and what's good is you apply them to your next relationship, um, which, is, which is wonderful. You know, I, I imagine divorcees do the same thing, you know. Um, but that's what home is. Yeah, I get it. In fact, you just uh, made me think for the first time, actually, that there must be, um, if you lose your partner, there must be incredible regret for all the things that you could have done that you didn't do. It's too late, right? Exactly, without, without a doubt, you know. Just so many, and again, I claim now to my, my new love, my new spouse that, uh, that uh, you know, I look back at it and, and I was, a, you know, a, a great husband, a good husband, a good family man. You know, the people in the hospital used to say I should get the gold medal for what I did and stay with my wife with for seven years. Yeah. And that leads me to the chapter called The Boardwalk. Yeah. I actually rewrote the book after the first year because I got so many compliments. I'll never forget one, one person wrote to me, one woman, she says, how dare you date after three months after your wife died? That's disgusting and terrible. Hmm. And that's when I decided to write the chapter The Boardwalk because after three months, my social worker, who's also a widow, and, and uh, she's just great. Betty Krause is just phenomenal. I love her. She's kept my life on track. And uh, after three months, she goes, you know, Dennis, you're dead soon. She goes, you really, you're about, I, I, was, I was bloated, maybe 30 pounds overweight. Just, I was killing myself. And if it wasn't for my two boys, I probably would have definitely ended it. My two boys kept me going. That's it. Oh yeah, my, it was, if it wasn't for them, I probably would have stopped life. Mm. And um, um, she goes, "You're gonna die, Dennis. You, 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 there's nothing left of you." 
Mm. She goes, you got to snap out of this. You need to date. And I'm like, Betty, I can't date. It's, she goes, Dennis, you've been, you've been, you were a caregiver for seven years. Mm. The last two years, your wife was in the hospital, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, come on, you haven't had affection or anything in years. She yeah. goes, come on, you know? So she gave me, she not gave me permission. She's the one that told me to go date. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have a recent friend who, um, whose wife has Alzheimer's for 10 years. And, you know, him and I have had some deep conversations, very dear friend of mine. And after, you know, she's become pretty much a vegetable is... I said, you know, listen, I can't name names. He said, you know, you got to go out and date. Come on, what are you doing to yourself? He goes, you know, he's very, you know, he comes from a religious family and everything. I'm like, you know, come on, what are you doing to yourself? I said, speak to your kids about it. And he spoke to his kids and they actually gave him permission. And the woman's still alive and, you know, she's being taken care of medically, but he's dating, you know, and the guilt you get for that, you know, uh, you know, sure. I mean, it's but, not but fair. It's not fair, and that's what and that's what my chapter, the boardwalk's about, is about the sacrifice that caregivers give, or, or divorcees. You know, plenty of divorcees give their life to their kids and their family, and don't date for for a long time. Especially mothers or fathers, whoever's taking care of their children, and you know, it comes a point you got to go share your life with somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So. So how did you, I mean, you're, you're kind of touching on it. How did you get through that? Uh, have you been able to let go of that regret? Because when you think about it, well, when I think about it, what I'm thinking is whoever's left behind would have ideally, if they're looking down, they want you to be well and you to have a good life. And probably they would actually want you to go out. <laughs> they have no possession rights over you anymore. But also, more than that, they want, they want you to have a, a full life and a, a life with love in it. So would, would the deceased not want you to go out and date? And what do you think? Well, yes. The answer to that is yes. But, you know, I can only speak to myself. As I write in my book, everybody's life is individual. And I say, listen, you can only give guidelines to people. You can't tell them what to do because everybody has their own life to live and no two lives are the same, no divorce, two divorces are the same, no two caregivings are the same. Um, But me, I I still have regrets to this day, you know, and I'm never going to give them up. You know, my Friday night hockey's every once in a while, you know, like uh, I I belong in a hockey league now. I've told the guys I won't play Sundays. I'm not going to do it, you know? Uh, You know, so they play without me on Sunday nights. And, you know, you know, certain things, you know, you know, certain things happen and all of a sudden you snap and you go, you know, why the hell did I play a computer game so much sometimes or, or whatever it is. I wish I could have given my wife something. I wish I could have given my wife the things now that I'm giving to my new wife as far as personal time. You know, you know, um, you know I talk to guys, you know, a lot of, you know, I tell this to men, I say, you know, guys complain about not having enough sex. And I turned to all of them and I said, well, I know something's probably your fault. They all look at me and they go, well, guess what? You're not giving your wife the amount of time she really needs from you. Yeah. And, and they don't want to hear that. And I'm like, well, turn the damn football off on a Sunday. Mm. You know, go take her out somewhere instead of watching that football game. Yeah. Of course your wife's not going to have sex with you on a Sunday because you watch football all day. Yeah. You, know, you didn't give her the personal time she needs. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. 
Good advice. Very good advice. Um, so what's your favorite bit in the book? I got a couple. First of all, it's my tagline. Mm -hmm. um, my tagline, um, love is not a journey. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I read that wrong. Love is not a journey, but an adventure. A journey is only to travel from place to place, but to, to adventure is to explore with both mistakes and successes, with twists and turns that leads to exciting new discoveries and opportunities. So love is an adventure. You got to realize it's not all rosy and it's, it's pitfalls and wrong turns. But that's what makes love. You know, fights make love. You know, I'll never forget I went for marriage counseling and the marriage counselor said, you know, if you're not fighting, that means somebody's taking advantage of the other. <laughs> you know, if you're not having arguments and disagreeing, you know, yeah. it means somebody's always winning. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of my favorite things in the book. Mm. I already discussed the boardwalk and I already discussed home. Mm. Um, the other two chapters in my book that I really embrace and I embrace them all, but these really resonate is the first one is called whole heart, whole heart. It, the whole heart is W H O L E heart and H O L E. And it's about your heart being broken in half and crying. When, when your love dies, it's literally, you lose half your heart and you want to get half your heart back. And you don't know how to do it, and, you, and you're stumbling, and you're making mistakes, you're adventuring. And some people decide that they want love again. Some people decide they want to mate. Some people decide they want to be alone. And in fact, I'm reading now, some people want to have a mate, but they don't want to live with that mate. They have two separate homes, which is becoming well-known, you know, acceptable. And there's no right or wrong. You need to decide how you want to be. Do you want to be alone? Do you want to be with somebody? Do you want to be with somebody but share different places? And the other thing in whole heart is there's peep, some people that no matter, even if they want a mate, may not be able to find a mate because of their age. It's, it's especially hard for older women. Yeah. Um, and it's them coming to grips with that, you know, they might never have a man again in their life. You know, they may or may not. Uh, my friend Joan was uh, 70 years of age, and she kept saying to me, I'm never going to have a man. Nobody wants a woman my age. Nobody wants a woman my age. And I'd say to Joan, you're cute. You're beautiful. Come on. Go dress like you want a guy. You know, go ahead, buy new outfits. In fact, I, she, she had to travel to Greece and said, Joan, go get yourself a bikini. She goes, I can't do it. I go, come on. Go get a bikini. Go to Greece and go pick up some young guy. Come on. You're going you're gonna, to you're, you're gonna go live life again. And sure enough, at 72, she found the new love in her life. He was five years older. Brilliant. So that's what, that's what whole heart is about, is about trying to understand your predicament and get through it and understanding what your essence is. Um, the other chapter that means a lot to me is called Against the Gods. Um, it's the essence of my book. Mm. I am a structural civil engineer, and everything to me has to be factual. And I truly believe there is something after this world. My wife has come down to me a couple of times. She, a couple of times she saved my rear end. Um, she's physically touched me. She's come to several other people that will say she was next to you. 
And Against the Gods uh, is actually a book by the statistician Bernstein, who just recently passed, who was considered one of the top uh, statisticians of, uh, of, of modern man. And it's about when do you take the odds of something that is so far-fetched, and they happen, even greater than hitting Powerball, mm-hmm. and say either it's luck or it's divinity. And that's what that chapter goes into, that it comes to that point when you have to say either there is no God or there is a God, that this just happened and there's no way that it could have happened other than pure luck or divinity. And, you know, it's, to me, I, I've, I've ventured into the divinity side, not the one in a hundred billion side, you know, um, like Powerball, you know. Um, and Against the Gods really goes through a lot of the antidotes that I use that I now believe there is a higher power. Uh, that there's life after death and, and, and it occurs. Yeah. And in fact, when you read my book, it's, you'll see that my, my past wife set me up with my current spouse. Hmm. I don't want to give away that chapter of the book. No, but that sounds interesting, but uh, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, uh, she actually guided me to my current spouse. Amazing. So, so um, slightly different tack. What parts or role does humor play in your uh, in your book, in your story, in your life? Where does humor fit? Because I, th- I think you're a very. I've always found you to be very amusing. Um, life is humorous, <laughs> and if you don't. You know, if you don't, if you don't take the, if you don't take the humor in life and embrace it, you once said, stop. I made a lot, a lot of mistakes. I mean, you go into my chapter called Nair Nipples. Um, just think of the chapter, Nair Nipples. Mm-hmm. It is one romp of funny me transforming from a 55-year-old guy that's, you know, been married for 30 years uh, and learning to date and that transfer, you know, from, from the, the meeting with the guys on the beach to buying condoms for the first time in 20 years, <laughs> you know, to grooming myself and, and taking the hair off my body, you know, and uh, that's where the nan nipples comes in. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was advised by guys, you know, you got to be a certain way, and it turns out I didn't have to be that way. Turns out Lisa loves my my hair and my body, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but so, you know, so, listen, I used nair all over my body in places maybe it shouldn't have been, and it hurt. <laughs> oh dear! You didn't have a Brazilian wax, did you? Ah, uh, read the book. All right, okay. Yeah. So, um, I tell you what, are you thinking of making a movie out of your book? I've had two opportunities, nothing that's been fruitful. I think it would be a great topic for a, for a movie. I think it really would. I had one famous producer come to me about it, um, but uh, they wanted me to put some money in to, uh, to and uh, they do it on a fee. But I'm telling you, I don't want to name it, but they're a pretty big producer. But I had to put in, I had to put all the money in for the writing and things like that, and they would have followed through afterwards. 
So uh, eventually it may be a movie or a sitcom. It'd be a great sitcom. Yeah, it would. <laughs> uh, I'm still speaking with two other people. Yeah. So um, you never know. It's, 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 it's a tough road today unless you're a major writer yep. or, or, or producer. Today to get a book made, you really need to have a writer write the movie or at least one sitcom before a producer will look at it. Right. So what, so, you know, sort of moving towards a wrap up here, uh, what have you gone through, you know, given that what you've gone through, um, how has it changed you as a person? How have you uh, how's it changed me as a person? You know, I look at life so different than all my, my, um, I look at life so different than from my compadres at work and, and, and um, people that haven't been through losing your best friend. Um, you just look at life different, you know? You just, you know, money's not as important anymore. The experience is more important. Um, even even my children, the same thing. They, they, that's so much different than other kids that haven't lost a parent. Um, you just look at life different. I, I I can't explain that other than it just you look at it different. You really do. You let things go. Do you think that it's? I mean, because this is my interpretation, Dennis. Um, and tell me if I'm wrong. But this whole period of your life that you've been through that you talk about in your book would you say that really it is about it, um, becoming more loving and open and vulnerable and strong no I, i've always been an open strong loving person always have been okay it's about being more acceptive mm -hmm. of, of other people Mm -hmm. It's about being more acceptive of myself, accepting, accepting, I guess is the word, accepting of myself, mm -hmm. not being so hard on myself, learning to, learning to slow down and enjoy the experiences more. Mm -hmm. um, I eat the slowest out of everybody I know now. <laughs> <laughs> you do? That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kidding me? Everybody waits for me to get done. Everybody waits for me to get done at the table. That's amazing. No. You used to be a face stuffer. I used to be too, but now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much the slowest too. What is that all yeah. about? <laughs> it's all about just enjoying life more, you know, understanding. Yeah, Listen, the, I, one of my taglines also is you just don't know when tomorrow may not come. Yeah. You yeah. really don't. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, you know, you got to try to balance this thing of making money and living with living. <laughs> Unless you hit it big and you work for one of these big internet, you know, tech companies, and now you got a hundred million in the bank or ten million, whatever it may be in the bank, everybody has to struggle between making money and living, and you got to find that balance. And you know, I've tilted the balance more towards living. Yeah, good for you. So, uh, what advice would you give people who are in similar circumstances to yourself, uh, in the sense that the, the circumstances you found yourself in? What advice would you give to those people? If you could sort of say, hey, these are the one or two things that, you know, more than anything else, this is what you need to be concerned with. If you're a long-term caregiver, stay with it. Don't give up. It's a tough road. 
Um, it's the reward for doing it. I just can't tell you how it is, is phenomenal. And it is a tough road. Um, if you're a widower, widow, divorcee, there's happiness. There is happiness afterwards. You know, if, if, if life was always, I should say, I should use the word joy. Cause again, from before, if life was always joyous, mm. you would never have joy because you wouldn't know what joy really is. Mm. You got to take these times that are terrible and, you know, it's, this is also in my book called The Dark Night of the Souls. You need these dark night of the souls where you're literally at the bottom of the abyss mm. to fully appreciate the joys when they come. And, and listen, it's, it's the struggle of humanity mm. that, you know, the joys are a lot smaller than the, than the either the even keel or the, the, uh, the dark night of the souls. Yeah. Yeah. So when it happens, just, just know you got to get through it. And go back to knowing that joy is going to come and when you get it, just savor it. Savor it like a really nice scoop of ice cream in the heat of the summer. Ah. Brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's been such a pleasure, Dennis. It really has been. And uh, it's good to see you alive and kicking. And actually, I'm really happy the, the, the last abiding image I have of you is when you were seated, seating, uh, seated behind a big desk off Park Avenue or wherever it was, and you were people were coming in and you were doing this and you were doing that and everything was very, very busy. And uh, I'm sure there's an element of that still in your life, but it, you've come a long way, I'm sure, since those times. I had 200 employees. Now I have just me. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a big, big transformation. Yeah, fantastic. So tell me, um, I would like the audience to know, again, I'm going to repeat the name of the book. And uh, the name of the book is, um, I've got it right here, Love, Loss, Awakening. Uh, and the subtitle is Misadventures on the Way Back to Joy. And uh, so Dennis, where can people find your book, get your book, and how do they contact you? And, and my, the author name I go by is Dennis P. Freed. And you can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Cool. Easy. Yeah, it's easy to get. Okay, so I, believe also, I don't know if Apple has it anymore, but I know Amazon and Barnes & Noble have it. Fantastic. And you had pretty good reviews as well, didn't you? You had won a few awards and so on. I won three awards. I won uh, Indie Author of the Year Award. And Harville Hendricks, who's one of the most famous... Uh, authors on love is giving me rave reviews. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. As many others. Well, um, are you planning another book? I got three in the making. Um, cool. Just waiting to get a little bit more of a downtime and kind of writer that needs to do it steady. Mm -hmm. I got a follow up to this book, a business book, and then a book and short stories. They're all in three different modes of writing. I got chapters for each one written. Brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, who, who would have thought? I bet you didn't think you were going to be a, an author. Well, maybe you did uh, way back then when I, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. No, I'm an engineer. I never thought of that. <laughs> we never <laughs> took one writing. We never took one writing class in, in college when I went to school. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
All right, great. So, so uh, this has been uh, a conversation with Dennis, Fried, Dennis P. Freed uh, and his story about his life uh, as he writes it uh, in Love, Loss and Awakening, which you can find on Barnes and & Noble and Amazon. And uh, Dennis, thank you. It's been a fantastic interview. Really enjoyed it. And good to see you. Michael, Michael YouTube's been great seeing you and thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. We'll be in touch, okay? Sounds good. Yeah. Have a good day. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. See ya.